Welcome to Bayou Business Download, a podcast from the Greater Houston Partnership where we dive into the data and analytics influencing the region's economy. Today is Thursday, March 11th. I'm your host, AJ Mistretta, and I'm joined today by Patrick Jankowski, Senior Vice President of Research at the Partnership. In this episode, we're going to deliver an update on where things stand with the region's ongoing recovery. As the vaccine rollout ramps up and businesses are allowed to reopen fully across Texas, what are the opportunities and the challenges for the Houston area as we work to regain our economic footing? Patrick, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Jay, it's always good to talk to you. Patrick, I, I want to start today by asking where we are generally with the recovery as we approach mid-March, which really is roughly a year into the pandemic for this region. It's amazing that we've been doing this for a year, but you know, where do we stand today? Well, let me go back to uh, early in the pandemic. We lost 350,000 jobs. Uh, those jobs losses all occurred in two months, March and April. Yeah. And since then, we've recovered uh, roughly 215,000. So that leaves us uh, 135,000 jobs left to recover. Okay. Which sounds pretty good, but I need to caution the listeners out there that that's the data through the end of December. We haven't gotten January data. In mm. January, historically, there are always job losses. We always lose anywhere between 40 and 50,000 jobs. And the reason why is there's always a surge in hiring the last quarter of the year. Think about uh, Macy's and Target and all the stores out there. They take on additional help for the holidays. And that's temporary right. help, which gets let go in January. Uh, the package delivery firms, they take on people in the warehouses and in the delivery trucks to handle all those holiday packages. That's temporary hires. They get let go in January. Uh, we'll see a surge in restaurant hiring. We see a surge almost across the board uh, because what companies are trying to do is meet year-end goals and, and, and year-end targets. But what happens is once January comes around, we don't have the holiday sales anymore. We don't have the deliveries. We have companies that thought they should have laid someone off. They don't want to lay them off just before Christmas. So they'll wait until after January 1st. And I bring all this up because although it looks like we only have 135,000 jobs left to recoup, after we get to January numbers, that number is going to go back. What we need to recoup is going to go back up to about 175. So we're really about halfway there on the recovery. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And I remember those early months and how much was lost and we, we've slowly been making progress, but as you're saying, uh, January is a little bit of an illusion. Uh, we'll, we'll get some corrected numbers and, 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 and figure that out from there. You know, it's funny because I tell you there's, there's across the board, every sector loses employment, but one, can you guess what the one sector is that adds jobs in January? It adds jobs in January. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Seasonal hiring. It's accounting. They start oh, people yeah. for the tax season. Right, right. But the thing is, is then you start to see accounting lose jobs in May and June. And yeah. once again, that's seasonal hiring. Yeah, that's cyclical nature of, of the year, if you will, uh, around uh, certain sectors. Oil prices have rebounded from their April lows. Uh, we know that. And now tr they're now trading consistently above $60 a barrel. What does that mean for, for Houston? Well, think about it. Anytime oil prices goes up, that's good for Houston. Well, actually, I should say it's good for the oil and gas industry, and whatever's good for the oil and gas industry is good for Houston. Now, everybody remembers the worst part of the pandemic, there was that one odd day where oil traded negatively, and that was because of some financial contracts, which people didn't want to take ownership of the oil. But whatever, let's get past that. You know, in April, crude averaged about $16 a barrel. We've seen it inch up gradually. It's been consistently trading above 60. What that does is it doesn't mean that 
there's going to be a sudden influx of cash to the oil and gas companies because of a, a practice they do. It's called hedging. Right. And what a company does is they'll sit and they'll look and they'll say, okay, we're going to sign a contract and have someone guarantee us a price on the crude. And that when we're going to guarantee, we're going to deliver at that price. For the research I've done, it looked like it's about half of the production out there was hedged at around $45 a barrel, which means they're going to sell it to someone at $45 a barrel who otherwise would have been paying $60 a barrel for it. But that other pit, that the other half that isn't hedged, they're going to be able, if they can sell it on the spot market, they're going to benefit from those higher prices. But take that one step further. What you're going to see is that with oil prices up above where they were at the worst part of the pandemic, that takes the pressure off the companies to lay off staff. Mm. Back in March and April, it was survival mode. Cut costs any way you can. Easiest way to cut costs is let people go. They're no longer facing that sort of dilemma. Of course, there will be some layoffs as there's some restructuring, but not to the same extent. The other thing, the increased cash flow is going to allow them to retire some debt. It's going to allow some to return some dividends that allow them to drill a few more oil and gas wells. It's not going to be a boom for the oil and gas industry, but it is a chance to take a breather after what's been going on the last 12 months. So extrapolating from that too, you know, you and I have talked before about new energy and investment in new technologies. Could we see companies that perhaps had shelved some of that activity during the pandemic, just as you said, being in survival mode, could we see them reapproach their investment in new energy and, and new technology? Uh, oh, of course, of course. What you're going to see is that now they have some additional cash flow. So they can take some of that cash flow and apply it to the R&D and apply it to new energy. When they don't have the cash flow, they're just trying to survive. It doesn't matter whether it's new energy or old energy. They just need to keep the doors open. They're not in survival mode anymore. And that's what's good about the higher oil prices. I guess that's the irony from it is that higher oil prices makes it more affordable to do alternative energy because you have the cash flow to do it. It also kind of somewhat brings up the necessity to do alternative energy as something to, to offset the higher cost in the past, offset the higher cost of oil and gas. Yeah. And as we all know, uh, the pandemic has in some ways accelerated the, the idea of new energy or energy 2.0, the need or the desire to, to move in that direction, that energy transition. Uh, let's talk about real estate a bit. Are there any sectors in the real estate world that are doing well and, you know, I guess who is struggling the most of those, those major sectors? Well, the one sector that probably everybody can identify with is residential, meaning home, home sales, home building. Uh, we've seen absolutely phenomenal home sales uh, on pace, 100, 108, 110,000 homes on a 12-year, on a 12-month basis. Uh, we've benefited from the very low interest rates. Interest rates historically have been at their lowest point in the last 30 years. Uh, at one time, to get a 30-year mortgage, fixed mortgage, you could have gotten a rate of 2.65. Mm-hmm. It's since inched up a little bit to, to right at three. But the lower interest rates means more people can qualify, more people can afford a house. Right. Uh, the other thing that has affected residential is the, the nature of where the recovery has been. If you look at the, the jobs and you kind of break them down into, into segments, and there's high-wage jobs, middle-wage jobs, low-wage jobs. And Houston as far as recoup or as far as absolute level, we have more high wage jobs now than we've ever had before. It's higher than it was in the pandemic. Uh, There's an organization out there called Opportunity Insights Economic Tracker. It's something which is put together by Harvard University. And they look at this and they've estimated that for jobs that pay 60,000 or more in Houston, we are at 106% of where we were 
prior to COVID. And if you think about that, two individuals, husband and wife or, 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 or spouses or partners or whatever, each of them making 60,000 a year, that gives them $120,000 in household income, which means they can afford a home. They, it's very easier or a lot easier for them to afford a home, whether it's a resale home or whether it's a new home. You know, there's a sweet spot in home building out there in the Houston market. And the developers have done a really good job of building homes between 200,000 and 400,000. Yeah. And that accounts for about 70, 75% of all the new homes that are built out there. So that's one aspect of, of why residential has done so well. The other is resale homes, homes that people are already living in and they're going to put on the market. A lot of people want to move in those because they tend to be closer in or, or old, more established neighborhoods and so forth. Uh, the average price for a resale home right now in Houston uh, is about $350,000. And that's up roughly $50,000 from a year ago. That's up mm. 16%. And so that's the pressure, that's supply and demand. But if you look at the number of listings, the number of single family homes on the market, this time last year, there were roughly 24,000. Right now, there are only 13,000. This okay. is definitely a seller's market. So if you look at real estate in general, the residential side is doing the best. If you want to look at the commercial side, the side that's struggling the most is the office sector. Office sector has been struggling for six years now, and I'm afraid it's going to struggle for another six years. If you look at total available space out there in the community, and if you go back to 2016, let's just go back five years, about 25% of all space was available availability rate, vacancy rate, 25%. Right. If you look at the fourth quarter, 2020, it was 28%. So over the last five years, we've done nothing to reduce the amount of space out there. By some estimates, there's roughly 60 million square feet of office space available in Houston. I mean, that's a big number. It's hard to get yeah. your head around 60 million square feet. But let me put it this way. Transco Tower is 1.4 million square feet. So what you're looking at is, is roughly, what is that, 40 Transco Towers? And Transco Tower, just for everybody's benefit, is that is the big the big tower over by the Galleria, right? With okay, the, with I'm the... sorry. I'm, show, I'm showing how long I've been in the It's called Transco. When I was a young journalist, it was Transco Tower. Now, now, now that I'm an old economist, it's Williams Tower. I yeah, apologize. Yeah. No insult meant to Transco Tower or the real estate firm that manages it. No worries. No worries. But that, 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 that giant building that's right next to the Galleria, that's what we're talking about. And that's incredible. That's an incredible yeah. statistic when it puts it in perspective. Yeah, 40 of those empty that need to be somehow leased. Yeah, yeah. The uh, sector, if you look at commercial, there's, uh, you talk about industrial warehouse, you talk about multifamily, you talk about retail. Actually, the one sector that I think is going to do better, hold up better in Houston is going to be the retail sector. Hmm. Uh, in spite of the number of retail bankruptcies we had, uh, are you ready for a laundry list, AJ? Sure. You know, I was trying to figure out how many retail companies, how many retailers, stores file for bankruptcy in the last 14 months. It is a long list. Ann Taylor, Bells, Brooks Brothers, Catherine's, GNC, Guitar Center, JCPenney, Joseph A. Banks, Justice, Lane Bryant, Loft, Lord & Taylor, Lucky Brand, Men's Warehouse, Neiman Marcus, Pally Royal, Papyrus. You get, you get the gist, 24 of them. Wow. In spite of all those bankruptcies, the vacancy rate for retail space has only gone up from 5.5% to 6.2%. Mm. And the thing is, when we think of retail space, we tend to think of it as a store. But a retail space could also have a doctor's office. It could have a dry cleaners. It could have a gym. It could have a restaurant. 
could have a bank, could have a shoe repair. So even though some of these spaces where these retailers were, they're going to be backfilled maybe with another retailer or maybe with a totally different sort of service concept. So uh, I think retail will do a lot better uh, than office. And I think industrial kind of falls somewhere in the middle. So Patrick, I think what I hear you saying, and it, it actually makes sense, you know, to some extent, we are losing a lot of those national brands, even some local uh, mom and pop stores as well, retail, soft goods retail, if you will. Uh, and yet, you know, what's, what's interesting is that you see a lot of times when, when a, a, a traditional goods retailer vacates a space, a lot of times it's being backfilled by a service or by a restaurant specifically. Uh, and I think what's interesting, you know, while we have had a number of restaurants go out of business, unfortunately, during the pandemic here in Houston, we've also seen a number of expansions of restaurants as well. Uh, concepts going into new locations, concepts actually coming into the market for the first time. So I think you're seeing a little bit of that offset uh, because people do want to be out there. They do when they when, when things do recover, they want to be able to go out and eat. They want to rejoin their friends. And in some respects, that 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 that's playing out. In a way, there's there's a concept out there. I, I, I want to introduce. I'm I'm not 100% familiar with it, but it's also called creative destruction, mm. where you're always having some businesses which are failing, but you have new businesses which are rising up, and the businesses which would fail tend to be those which are poorly won, weaker capitalized and so forth. And the business that rise up tend to be stronger or more innovative. And so someone else's misfortune becomes someone else's opportunity. And the misfortune for the retailer, which had to vacate the space, is going to be the opportunity for some other sort of business to come back in, a business that's stronger, better capitalized, new concept, provides a, a greater need in the community or serves a greater need in the community. Huh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So Patrick, as you, as you kind of wrap this up, what positive signs are you seeing out there? Uh, you know, we talk at the very beginning, or I mentioned, you know, the vaccine rollout uh, is, is ramping up. Uh, certainly, I think, you know, more folks are, are able to get it these days. And, and that's increasing confidence, I think. But what else are you seeing that are signs of, of that are positive signs, really? Oh, a, cu- a couple of things. For one thing, I looked at sales tax collections for, for the metropolitan area. And there are, are roughly 116 cities in the nine-county metropolitan area. When I looked at it today, 74% of them have reported increase in sales tax collections in, in January. So that's a good sign that, mm. that, that sales tax collections are trending up. If you look at the Purchasing Managers Index, just came out today, 54.6. That's uh, higher than it's been in several months. Whenever it's above 50, that's a sign of growth. The Chronicle had a story today in the paper that said Harris County has, is uh, inoculated or there have been 1 million COVID inoculations given in Harris County yeah. so far. So we're, we're moving in, in the right direction. So I, I'm seeing all sorts of, uh, of good signs out there. I mean, this time, if you and I did this on the same day last year, it really looked grim. We had no idea how long the tunnel was going to be before we got to the end of the tunnel. But there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel. We're seeing the economy slowly reopening. We're seeing more people getting vaccinated and we're starting to see growth and, uh, and multiple sectors, except for some of those service sectors, which are so dependent upon face-to-face interaction. Once everybody gets their vaccination, once we get the virus under control, you're going to start to see growth in the, uh, in the service sectors, in the restaurants, in the bars, in, in the hotels, in the airlines, and the arts. We, you and I had a personal conversation about the arts just before we got on this. It's real hard time putting on a performance when you can't sit people down and wear them center. Right. 
Right. And so we'll start to see those arts and all those other uh, activities for which social distancing is a hindrance. We'll start to see them come back soon. So uh, I, I'm more upbeat about the economy now than I've been probably in the last the last 12 months, to be honest with you. That's awesome. That's really good to hear. And I think uh, a lot of us, a lot of us feel it. We feel a little bit of relief. We know we're not out of the woods yet, but, um, but we're getting there. Patrick, thanks for joining me today. AJ, this is always a pleasure. And for those of you that keep tuning in and listen to us, I hope I'm giving you some insight. Uh, I'm having fun with this, but I hope that not just me having fun with it, but you're getting some information that you can use. I'm having fun too, Patrick. It's, it's actually good. <laughs> oh, that's great. And that's it for this episode of Bayou Business Download. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can do so via your favorite podcasting platform or by visiting the podcast page at Houston.org. You'll also find links to recent data and news updates. Thank you again for listening to Bayou Business Download.